0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Hey everyone and welcome back to Page to Stage,
2: a conversation with theater makers.
1: We're your hosts.
2: That's Brian. That's Mary. To put it simply, we're both theater nerds.
1: So let's pull back the curtain and get a glimpse at the artist's process while creating their art.
0: Hi, my name is Margot Seibert, and I am an actor, singer, songwriter. Well, thanks for joining us virtually today.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me. So fun. we're so excited to sit down because we were both looking into Octet, and we have a ton of questions about your process behind that show specifically. But of course, you've done other acapella musicals like
0: In <laughs> Transit, so some crossover there. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I I never did acapella, but acapella has found me, so I'm go. I just go with the flow. Oh, so you never You're did acapella before. Acapella. It-
1: Actress, now. no.
0: <laughs> I said in my audition for In Transit when the, I was asked if I had any acapella experience, and I said, Well, my sister sings in an acapella group and I've gone to their concerts, so I literally <laughs> nothing like none. I, you Aphmose. know, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and I'm really intrigued by your degree in international relations.
0: Ah, uh, yes, I grew up singing, I grew up acting, I, I, I loved it like many of us do, but it was also like, Is this going to be? Be what I do when I grow up. I'm not sure. I never want to stop doing it, but maybe there's something else out there that I would be really good at. And (laughs) and a a conservatory program or something like that just didn't quite feel right to me. So I had a love of language and travel, and um, and so AU had a has a fantastic international relations program, and I actually went in to study peace and conflict resolution um, in the Middle East and Took some Arabic and took a bunch of classes there, and then was like, "This feels slightly depressing." So I changed <laughs> to um, international business um, at a U. The program was fantastic, and uh, they allowed me to perform the entire time. So um, that was a really that was they were very flexible, and I really appreciated that. So. I studied abroad and got my degree and graduated a little early. And then I was like, I'll do theater.
1: (laughs) What made you pivot?
0: Let's see. I was pretty driven to see, really to try to find out if I could make a living as a performer. So the wonderful thing in Washington, D.C. is that there's an an incredible theater community here. And um, I started swinging shows. I started understudying shows while I was still in college to kind of see what that would be like, you know, while balancing retail jobs and nannying jobs and um, just to make sure that I could really do it and get hired and uh, pay my rent. And so it was from a very like practical standpoint. And there's such a rich community here and I really found my place here. And so I decided that I would Continue to pursue that, and it it took me another at least five years before I moved to New York City.
1: So you're just doing like the regional circuits and yeah, regional just circuits staying and staying in Washington DC. For yeah, it's Park. I
0: mean so much f- fantastic theater here. So yeah, I would and I and you're able very easily um, to jump back and forth from theater for young audiences to musicals to plays, and I realize now in hindsight how. Um, special that is. So I'm less familiar with the theater scene in DC. Is there a strong New Works effort in DC as far as theater goes? You know, I can't totally answer that only because when I was coming up, I didn't like start in New Works. Um, but I'm, I am know there are a ton of young theater companies or theater companies that are um, and there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of new work development actually at Signature Theater as well. Um, so there, that definitely is present here. And I think it has only grown since I was a, a part of the community. Um, I'm here right now. If the theater was going on, I could just uh, go explore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, looking at your your resume and, and the credits and everything, you've done a lot of what looks like to be a lot of new work in in the recent years. And I, and I'm, I'm sure Brian is too, but I am a hu- I love new work. So there's just yeah. something about it that is just yeah. so exciting to me. And you know, just it's kind of the reason why we started this podcast is just because we're so fascinated by the process behind behind that and all the pieces that it takes. And so I'm curious with with your experience as what, well, you know, your first, let's talk about I guess maybe what, like your earlier in your early career of what you were doing with new works and how those experiences kind of built on each other. If that if that makes sense. Yeah, so then when you yeah. the next project like what were you taking with
0: you? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually realize now that we are starting out at the be- talking about the beginning of my experience with new work. It actually did start down here at Signature Theatre. I worked on Tomorrow of the River, which I actually ended up doing in New York. That was a musical written by Marissa Michelson down here in Virginia at Signature Theatre. And also The Boy Detective Fails by Adam Guan. And, um, there was a show called The Hollow as well, which they signature very bravely ran two brand new musicals in rep, which was just insane. So like four times a week we did one and four times a week we did the other. Wow. That's um, so
1: cool. And was yeah, there was a the connection between the two pieces? Um, like, no, thematically?
0: <laughs> not really. One was about the legend of Sleepy Hollow and the other one was about a boy detective. Wow. Um, so, th- and that was where I met Adam Guan and I, I feel like that my experiences there were my first in really, um, getting immersed in like the process of new work, the changes that happen, the development, the discussions, um, which I, it was unfamiliar and is also very like, it keeps you on your toes. And then I kind of fell in love with that. And then when I got to New York, I ended up. Some I, I fell into um, the NYU Graduate Music Theater Writing Program, not as a student, but as a performer. Oh, where... yeah.
1: They, they bring in people all the yes. time, right?
0: Yes. So they bring in – I literally don't know – how that happened. Um, but I,
1: it's always so impressive too to look back at those, those, um, relationships that you probably made there. I'm so interested to hear if you have any that have continued throughout your career.
0: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, so many people that, I mean, I met or Matthias, who was the MD of Octet. I met him when I was, you know, I want to say volunteering. I guess they pay you a stipend. I yeah. <laughs> <Pretty laughs> was hearing. hired uh, by NYU to develop or, you know, to, to just come in and, and help writers with their 10-minute musical or their 30-minute musical or just to sing a song. And you have to be able to, to pick music up quite swiftly and, and sight sing, which I you know, kind of make up my way through that, but, um, <laughs> that's
1: interesting. <laughs> but, We're going to get to that.
0: Yeah, sure. And so, you know, there, I actually, I feel like that was the deep dive. That's like the amount of changes, the amount of, um, you know, how hard those students are working and then thinking and on the, the
1: fly too. Oh my on gosh. Your part.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: You, you have no time <laughs> to sit there and think about, you know, no, am I doing it, this right? You're just doing it.
0: Yes, it really, really helped my um, speed in very swift decision making and, you know, in a reading situation.
1: In college, we would, my teachers would call it the fuck it muscle. Fuck it, just, just do it.
0: It's very strong these days. It's very strong. It's like, okay, give me the script, let's just do it. And let's just see what happens. And, you know, I've found the most freedom, a lot of freedom in that.
1: Your Broadway debut was Rocky, right? Mm -hmm. Did you start um, in rocky in any developmental stages
0: no so wow I knew I knew no one <laughs> it really is one of those stories that I, you don't hear very often anymore uh, I feel very very fortunate but I didn't know anybody artistically connected to the piece um I auditioned I got a call from my agents that there was this musical happening that sounded like a terrible idea and um and I was like I've never seen the movie of rocky I know nothing about it um sure I'll go and uh and so the music was so beautiful and the scenes <laughs> were so stunning <laughs> um I actually just kind of it it found me and it worked. I, I I think that the artistic team was just as surprised. I think they kept going. Who is this person and where did she come from? I had mostly been doing, um, mostly been doing work outside of the city. Mostly like hopping around regionally and a f- very few things in New York. Um, before that, and I also. M- My young one of my younger sisters had died in a car crash very suddenly, like right right before I went into auditions for that show. So it was a kind of a crazy time and it just all worked out for me to be able to, um, I think, tap into the place where Adrian was and that sadness. And um, and so it truly it. It was incredible. I mean, I I I never imagined making my Broadway debut in any kind of a leading role capacity.
1: Right. That's so. that's really phenomenal to land a principal. Um. On yeah. Your debut. It's crazy. <laughs>
0: it's crazy. I mean, I mean, the first the the day that we had presentations, um, you know, set and costumes and everything. I mean, I, I went to the bathroom and I just I cried. I just like shut myself in the stall because I was so overwhelmed and full of joy and just like, you know, was used to like scrappy theater, which is also phenomenal. But this was yeah. not that. And, um, and it was really, it was really incredible. I'm very, very thankful that, um, so many people agreed to take a chance on somebody that they didn't know.
1: Speaking of taking chances, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. um, so an acapella, cappella Musical, right? In Transit <laughs> yeah. was the first acapella musical to hit Broadway. Yeah, connect the dots from Rocky to In Transit for how you became <laughs> involved in that process, and because uh, that's uh, you know when your acapella career took off. It seems. Oh my god,
0: um, it's so funny. It just makes me giggle. Just because I'm always like, I don't know how that happened. Um, but I so after Rocky, um. Of course, many other things happen and I don't know my resume very well, but it's all (laughs) it's literally all blur. Like, what is time? Um, But I in 2015 did um, a brand new production uh, of Ever After at Paper Mill Playhouse Mm -hmm. with Kathleen Marshall. So, um, and I got to play the lead Danielle in that it was like one of the movie, one of my like most beloved '90s movies. From oh, it was such a my good childhood. movie! Oh my god, <laughs> it's still such a good movie. Um, so I worked on that with Kathleen Marshall, and Kathleen Marshall directed in Transit. So Kathleen is like one of the most loyal directors I've ever worked with. Um, she really uh, values relationships. And I, if that feels more and more rare, but she, when she finds somebody that she enjoys working with, it's like you've, you have a mutual trust there and especially a mutual trust in new work, um, which can be so trying. So, um, Ever After was a blast. I actually met my husband doing that show, so Aww, total gosh. total success. And then, um, and then Kathleen asked me to come in and audition for In Transit in twenty uh, sixteen. I don't know twenty sixteen. A maybe. long time ago. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, right. So, when you were asked to come in to audition, what were some of the things that kind of ran through your mind as far as like how do you prepare for such a thing? Like, were, were you given instructions on on materials to prepare at that point?
1: Yeah, what was the rehearsal? I'm sorry, the um the audition process like that's a yeah great question.
0: I'm trying to remember. So mostly they were navigating that too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that musical had been kicking for about ten years, I think at least, Um, and they had done a production of it at 59 East 59. And so, and I had also not been a part of that in any other iteration than when it went to Broadway. So. I mo I sang I think I sang something from my book. I think I sang something from the last 5 years that I had just done.
1: One of my um, favorites. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, I know this and um and that was for the team and all uh, because it was uh a team
1: of five writers, and that was probably like such a tricky balance, too.
0: Yes, totally, but but also very amenable to change because they had grown with the piece and were ready to, you know, do the version of In Transit for, um, for 2016. You know, and not re- necessarily keep things that they were really um, nothing was really uh, particularly precious to the writing team which is so amazing so amazing so i and i also um deke sharon who who was the arranger of all the vocals and he did all the pitch perfect movies so that was another element of like okay can we can we create instrumentation with our voices um rick hip flores was the music director so we did do a bunch of um within the audition we did like the building of chords and kind of like what you do, you know, when you're auditioning for a chamber choir or some kind of a cappella group. Like, can you hold your part? <laughs> can you hold right. your part? How pure are you on pitch? And I really, really think that the relationship that I had already previously cultivated with Kathleen went very, very far in that process as well.
1: Were there any differences in auditioning for Octet versus In Transit, since they were both a cappella musicals?
0: Ah, uh, um. Yes, well, I didn't audition for Octet. (laughs) Um, I, so Dave and I have known each other like tangentially in the community for a while, and he had been a fan of um, the piece that I did, Tamar of the River, um, which was with Prospect Theater Company, and he had heard me sing, I think, quite a bit. And so, I mean, the guy is a genius. I'm going to yes. say it because I mean yes. it. And um, he's a genius. And he was like, yeah, I would like your voice on this. So he invited me to come to a workshop of Octet, which was the start of my experience with Octet. So so auditioning was a, a di- very different experience. The um, differences between the two, it's a different kind of acapella in the sense that in transit was very pitch perfect forward, we never stopped singing. We sang from moment one, to the last moment of the show. (laughs) We changed backstage while we changed clothing. We, when we were grabbing props, I mean, sometimes you would give your measure over to somebody else who had one measure off. So you could take a sip of water before you started singing again. Um, And we were mimicking all sorts of sounds and, you know, here I'm a bass and here I'm more of a trumpet. And so it was like, Vocal acrobatics. I can't I can't believe that you just said that you were
2: doing it even off stage, like while changing. <laughs> it's, so it's like crazy. when does your
0: voice get a break? I mean, wow. It, it didn't. It got <laughs> our voices got a break when they gave out and we went out of the show and our understudies came in and then we repaired and went back in. Um it was it was yeah. The I think everybody who worked on that show was like that was the ultimate Vocal marathon for sure. Um, Very very difficult to maintain. Any um, I
2: mean, I don't know if as a company this was decided or if you took this on individually. But were there any specific warm ups that you were doing
0: Mm. to
2: kind of you know prevent any specific damage to the vocal cords?
0: I know that they hired a um, kind of like a vocal liaison who came in a couple times and was like. Watch out for this, and watch out for this. I don't think that anybody could really foresee the kind of wear and tear, uh, that would happen. You know, like because with an HO week, you're always like, sure, it'll be fine, <laughs> right? And um, everyone will be fine. And then you find out that it's much harder. So warm-ups, I think it was kind of up to – I mean, they hired an incredible group of professionals who knew their voices very well. And so there was a ton of vocal rest that went on. There was a ton of very specific eating that was going on, very specific working out, PT. Um, Yeah, we were in it. Um, And do you you think that it informed like or changed
2: your process – as a performer, if you know if you're comparing it to a non-a cappella musical or a production that you've been a part of, did any of those habits that you created or any of those rituals that you were a part of to help you in, in transit and in octet,
0: do you think any of those kind of became part of you? Sure. I mean, I think that there's probably nothing more intimate than a cappella singing, um, in the sense that there there is no one to lean on but each other. It's not like you know, I can run down and talk to the conductor and just say like, hey, I'm feeling like this and like, can we just take this or is there like, yeah, pump it up or like I have to lay back a little bit. And um, because both in In Transit and in Octet, we wore in-ears, um, so we had basically everyone's voices panned in one of our ears.
1: Was it specifically mixed for vocal parts that may help you hear your harmonies? It was
0: mixed to your request, Mm, which was a very long process of like cultivating exactly what that was. But it would be like, hey, I can't hear like usually. I was singing with Erin Mackey because she was you know first soprano and I was second, so most of the time she was she was turned up pretty loudly in my mix just so I was always balancing off of her. And sometimes it would be like, but the 10 or 2 line, like I cannot hear right now. Like if I hear it, it's going to knock me off my pitch center. But we heard, I mean, you could hear if someone was, um, if someone had had a late night. You could hear if someone was congested. You could hear like there may or may not have been a day where two of our cast members both got a stomach virus and ran off opposite sides of the stage to vomit while we were all singing. Oh my and god. And that's happening in your ear. So I would say that like there's nothing more intimate than everyone's <laughs> like oral like life being projected into one of your ears. Um for about an you know, an hour and a half, eight times a week.
1: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Ow, oh my god.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's really crazy. So they and the difference in octet being musically, it was much more like a chamber musical. So it was a very like, instead of mimicking instrumentation um in more of a like a pitch-perfect beatboxing kind of way. Uh, octets, you know, the first number in octet and the last number were basically like chamber pieces. So it was a very like organic, holistic sing. We start here, everyone moves through their story, and we end here. And we were all, um, we I think we were all chosen for the very individualistic qualities of our voices.
1: That's really interesting to think about in terms of mixing and how that's probably playing a really huge um part in the overall sound of the show but then especially in octet you guys break off into your own moments uh, and become those like singular parts aside from the group also i just want to congratulate your whole ensemble and getting the special drama desk award so cool right so cool and also eight
2: in total eight drama desk awards right
1: yeah, nominations.
2: Nominations. Yeah. nominations, correct? Yeah, nominations. But they, yeah, they
1: they got the award.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we got. I was like, wait, wait, we already got it.
1: How did um, you find this out?
0: oh i mean i honestly think like instagram and then they did send us a they did send us a very very nice email i mean it's been octet's been receiving a lot of recognition at the Lucille Lortels. i believe we just won for best musical and kuhu verma won like best supporting actress and our director annie tip won and um and we'll oh, i think also the drama league we have nominations and then the drama desk so i'm like we're so thrilled as a family like we we are only super bummed that we can't be together going to any of these events (laughs) right Right. there's
1: that and it's also you guys closed like almost a year ago now right Yeah. so it's it's so strange that you know the way that this award circuit works totally did you guys always think of your family and your company as this big ensemble was that really part of the rehearsal process for Octet
0: That's a great question I think that that actually I think the the family part of it came as a result of working so hard to um to be able to sing that music because in the workshop so not all of the music had been written yet um there had been two workshops I was only part of the second workshop of Octet and it I mean talk about like the most intimidating thing I mean again, as I said, ma- I hinted to earlier, I'm I'm a sight singer. <laughs> I'm a sight singer, and but sometimes I go with what I think should be on the page and not exactly what's on the page. I don't have any music theory. And I was in that room with an incredibly talented group of people, I would say at least half of which have like a deep music theory. And that seemed very helpful. Um and so it was good for
1: them. Yeah, good,
0: for, good for them. And uh and so I honestly felt like in that first workshop and I don't mean this in any kind of negative way, it was a bit every person for themselves. <laughs> in the sense that my part is so difficult and your part is so difficult and when we put the two of them together, it's literally like what on earth is happening? That we would I mean we would be rehearsing. I would rehearse, come home after the um after rehearsal for the workshop and rehearse for an additional four hours. I mean, just tr- and we didn't have um, we didn't know how we were going to get our pitches at that point. So we were still being guided by our music director or he was occasionally accompanying us. But I mean, dave's <laughs> Dave's writing is not easy. It's beautiful. And that's what makes it so incredible. But it was not an easy learn.
2: (laughs) And how long did you guys have as far as like the rehearsal development process goes?
0: Oh, well, I think that so the workshop was like two weeks. But then when we were at Signature, I want to say we had like something ridiculous. Four weeks. Yeah. I, I want to say, I mean, if it wasn't four weeks, it felt like four weeks, but it could not have been more than five. I'm almost positive it was, it was four. So we had one week that they tacked on before the show began, a few weeks before the sh- before rehearsals g- began, where we got together and tried to review what we had done in the workshop. Based on and, memory? <laughs> based on what was, yeah, based on memory, memory and what was still there. And then like, I mean... We had um, Or and Simone on our music team, and they sent us like an individual track for every single number, for every single part. So the idea was that we had so little time to really learn this music, let alone put it on our feet and be able to sing and, and, and then move at all <laughs> while doing it, that it was almost imperative we had a chat very early on in rehearsal that said basically you need to be off book by like a week a week yeah by by, yeah like (laughs) we know we don't have all the we still didn't have all the music written our dave didn't have all the music in yet so I know we're starting rehearsals, but like you should be off book. So it was um, it was very hard. It was very hard. And and that is like where the family, I think, truly began. It's like this ex- very unique
2: experience that a very select group of people are in. So that kind of just like draws you together
0: as a unit yes. into a family. And like, and like if I don't have this book in front of me, how want- on earth am I finding my note okay so my note is your note three measures before but a half step half step up you know so like I have to be listening to you then I have to hold that note then I have to, you know and it was just like really like that rehearsal process the how incredible our MD was like how prepared Annie Tip was to be like okay she like she basically knew what she was doing in the, sh- the outline of the show. And the staging was very simple, but very effective. And, like, Dave knew what he wanted, you know? I mean, he didn't really do a ton of rewriting. He did, like, in terms of, never mind, not that number, here's a different number, you know? Everybody was just working as hard as they possibly could.
1: And you guys were on stage the whole time? Uh, yes. Not only are you focusing on you know, just like the music in general and like making sure that your part is going well. But I I feel like there's definitely this other sense of focus that you need or this muscle, this focus muscle that you're flexing the whole time, uh, truly just to get to the end, I'm sure. But to be in the moment and to be with that, you know, that group. And that's so present in the story Mm. of the show itself. So I'm wondering how that might have affected your process you know, while you're on stage and and I guess preparing too, and like keeping that, that same focus eight times a week?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I really think that what I enjoyed so much about Octet was that like, you, you always felt like you were part of the unit. You always, I mean, it was eight people singing eight different parts. So everybody is essential. And like, and it's really gonna mess everything up if, if somebody goes out, you know? Um, and so to that, and, and I also loved that everybody got a moment of individual sharing. So it was this wonderful thing where, you know, we're a unit, we come out, we sing, we tell our story, and we move right back to be that support system. And, and I think because the music was so hard, because uh, it was so much fun to sing together, and because we had to be so supportive. I mean, the only time when you weren't singing backup is when you're singing your solo number. There there was no time to kind of like zone out, you know. And so you just feel so well used. <laughs> um, so important and and like everyone is depending on me and I'm depending on everyone else so it's it was such a it's such like a I don't know such a team such a team to do a show like that I often think about how long you know when you have
2: a longer run that's more than I don't know like you know two three weeks maybe um, trying to maintain the energy and the ability to do what you do to recreate it you know eight times a week plus mm-hmm. and having to be on stage and having to be in that in that moment I'm sure really helped keep you kind of like on edge a little bit in a, mm-hmm. in a good way in a, in a helpful way
0: would you yeah. say that, that that was your experience absolutely i mean i honestly don't I, I don't remember us finding octet particularly exhausting because it was it fed us you know i mean it wasn't a particularly long show but it was a very dense show and it also just felt like because it's centered around people's relationship and addiction to technology, it felt incredibly important to be sharing that with the audience every night. It felt incredibly important to like take a moment to examine our relationship to our phones, our dating apps, our gaming, um, how we shame other people online. And so it also felt like in addition to us enjoying each other's company and like being a unit, being a team, it also felt very important to be sharing this with the audience right now. I mean, honestly, it feels like even right now like a year later (laughs) i was thinking the same thing honestly
1: it'd be totally crazy if you guys did like a virtual version of this because that would be on like another meta level that would be so
0: meta (laughs) i wouldn't put it past anyone i'm 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 sure things are in development but i think that that was like another element of it was that like people left that show (laughs) <laughs> sometimes not wanting to talk at all, <laughs> but wanting to talk about and put their phones away or like re-examine why they're using their technology and how they're using it. It felt almost like, um, I think some of the best theater feels like, it feels like a service, you know? Yeah. Um, as well.
1: If you take your experience in Octet, And like that ensemble unit and family that you guys created. If you take that back and put it next to your experience with In Transit, would you change anything about your experience in In Transit? Or would you maybe um, approach the work differently?
0: Well, I think that inherently in Broadway, the stakes feel much higher because more money is on the line. That's like, it is what it is. And so like, whether you like it or not, There's a different pressure to putting a brand new musical up at Signature. That's a commission. And we're going to see how it goes. And we love Dave. And like, maybe this is super ambitious and won't work out. And maybe it will, you know, to like millions of of people or like millions of dollars are invested. People have invested their time. You, You are lucky enough to get a Broadway theater. This needs to work which i which is not unique to in transit.
1: No, i've heard that a lot and i think that that's a really um interesting commentary to kind of like shed light on on like the machine aspect of broadway and you know just like the artistic ventures that people have and like those risks. Yeah. Um, you know, it it makes you think about what you know, in the end, everybody wants a great show and everybody Mm -hmm. wants it to be well-received. Are these high stakes putting a hindrance on those artistic uh, I don't know
0: how they can't, you know? I mean, I think that's also why uh, shows do so much pre-development and and runs out of town so that they get the time that they want and need to create the thing that they want to create, which is also a lot more money as well. Um, I wouldn't say like... In these acapella musicals, like my in transit family, like we um, recorded one of the songs remotely. Um, we recorded a, uh, one of the songs that we sang in the show together just a couple weeks ago called We Are Home because we are all home. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was about loving. It's like a song that's just about like, why did we all come to New York in the most positive way? Like we came here to be who we wanted to be. We came here to be, you know, like a, a family, to be individuals, to be like part of this community, even though it's crazy. And, um, and so I think that kind of like intimacy and also the voice, I mean, what's more intimate than like singing and vibrating? Um, I think it really joins you you know, um, as a family for a very, very long time. So I would say that that's a very similar between the two pieces.
1: That whole like team player aspect of our experience that you've had now in these these shows, how, how do you take that to other work? I know you were just in um, Unknown Soldier, which I didn't get a chance to see and I so regret not seeing it. Um <laughs> okay, before. we were supposed
0: to keep running. I know. <laughs> it was know. supposed to I keep, keep happening.
1: T- I heard I had so many friends that said that they had just bought tickets to like, the next week after they just saw it oh, on opening gosh. crazy
0: right cuz we open on monday and theater shut down on thursday
1: right um, how do you take like those experiences of being that you know such a team player um and in that ensemble family to other shows where it's it might not be as uh, front and center
0: yeah i mean i in some ways there's a relief to it (laughs) like my hitting this note or not hitting this note is not going to create a domino effect and ruin the show um so it's just a different experience like that obviously we had we created a family it was a brand new work we made so many changes um there were rewrites up until the very up until we opened which i loved and everybody's working you know um Trip Coleman and Danny Goldstein and getting to sing Michael's music. I, it was, it was great. It's just a different kind of, it's a, everybody, um, in that show also was very much in their own story. Um, most of my text was sent via email or telephone. So it was actually quite an isolating show in that, in that way. So, you know, that's what I love about theater. You know, the, couple seasons ago, I was doing like a four, a four-hander at Playwrights Horizons and Thanksgiving play. And then you can do an eight person acapella musical signature. (laughs) So it's like, I love the variety. I mean, I'm like, keep it coming. I love it so much.
2: Did you notice if there was a difference in preparation and process when you were leading a company versus working in an ensemble and, and you I know you just talked about having like, you know, there wasn't a lot of pressure to be, you know, hitting the right pitch at the exact moment that everyone else was. <laughs> but is there other types of maybe non-vocal or non-physical things that go through your mind when you're having to prepare in a principal role?
0: Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, I mean, one of the Uh, very early on actually with Rocky, like one of the most important things that kind of stuck with me that Alex Timbers said was, or uh, he actually came up to me and asked me um, or said he needed me to be a team leader in Rocky. He was like, basically told me that he was depending on the two of us, on Andy Carl and myself to set the example and like lead the team because it's very easy and in any show for the there's the potential for um a souring of um of attitude and especially when people get fatigued and you're in previews for an extended period of time and there are changes after changes after changes and your song gets cut and you know it's just like it's a such a micro universe and everything becomes very heightened and very important and so it's it's It was very, very important to me that I took that advice with me through, especially anytime I'm leading um, a cast. Is that like it has to? It has to. I don't. I was gonna say it has to start with me, but that's not necessarily true. I it. I have to be a very important part of like keeping the team positive and not. Complaining to everybody if I'm having a hard time or, like, really using the right moment, especially with new work when you're asking for changes or, like, there's something that's really been bugging you or something that you think we could make clearer. It's all about, like, being a good example and taking – knowing that, you know, your cast and your team is watching your conduct. And I'm sure timing is everything. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. And that, that, that only also comes with like experience and being like, yep, shouldn't have asked for that change today. Um, <laughs> or like, you know, or like, let me just put put it off another week and like, let's see how it goes. And maybe it'll actually trusting the preview process and knowing that like, man, the audience is going to know that this is a problem, you know? <laughs> and if they don't, maybe you're stuck that way for a couple months. But um. But anyway, I would say that that is a I guess a difference. It, it wasn't that in Octet I felt like, uh, eh, whatever, we it was a different kind of team. It was like we were all equals and we were all like running at the same speed, you know? We all have to be like equal parts. And sometimes in the hierarchy of casts, it's really important that like of course that you have an incredible leader, you know? And hopefully that's the artistic team. <laughs> but I think it also really um, helps if it's your principal actors as well.
2: Do you think that – this just kind of came to me based on what you were just saying. Do you think that the those performers who are in those principal roles who are essentially leading the company, do you think that the responsibility lies on them to be the advocates for if something's not working? Or do you really think that – it should or could come from
0: anyone in the collective? Well, I think it should come from anyone in the collective. Um, but I don't always know that that is how it has worked up to this point.
1: <laughs> I've heard that from some actors too. They'll, they'll say that they look to, you know, the the leading players or the leading players will feel like they have this responsibility to the rest of the cast to be that advocate um, in previews and. You know,
0: I also think it depends on what you're advocating for, because when you first said advocate, like and advocating, I was like a 100 percent. Yes. Like if there is an issue with rehearsal hours and I know this is all like e- equity deputy stuff as well. But if there's anything where it's going to be easier if I take it to general management, if it's going to be easier, if it's coming out of my mouth, then I definitely feel like I have I have that responsibility because I have the privilege of being in the position that I'm in.
1: And you always have to pick your battles, like you said. For (laughs) sure.
0: For sure. If people are like – honestly, I feel like most of – in terms of advocating for stuff that's not necessarily like um, monetary or like um, (laughs) whatever (laughs) is is kind of just sensing, being sensitive to the morale of the team. Um, And I think – like we have to do what we can do to make people feel safe and protected and keep morale up. Because when all is said and done, like everybody's going to leave and we're just going to have to run the show, you know, (laughs) like everybody, everybody leaves us. And then it doesn't matter like what the, um, you know, the amazing work of the choreographer, it's us. And we have to be able to run as a team. And so, yes, I would say like, if somebody's having a very specific issue with a line of theirs, like, that's their work. But if I can help advocate for the team and for morale, I think it's essential.
1: Hmm. What is your favorite part of developing new work? And, you know, what do you look forward to most when we can develop work again?
0: <laughs> oh, that's so sad and happy. um, At the same time, I... I love, and, and uh, again, it has only come with being familiar with the unknown. But I, I love the changes that occur during previews. I love the rewrites. I love. I mean, I did a, I did a play at Rattlestick a few years ago called "The Undeniable Sound of Right Now," written by Laura Eason. and and she. Is incredible. And she gave us a 40 page rewrite one day in in previews. I mean, obviously it was 40 pages because something, you know, tracked through the 40 pages. And most of it was my journey. And it was incredibly terrifying. We spent the entire dinner break trying to memorize the new lines. And and like, I find that thrilling because I've really become okay with not being perfect <laughs> and I'm, and not actually trying to strive for that at all and finding so much flexibility and excitement and fulfillment in um, the, the playing, you know, and like trying to get there maybe. <laughs> I actually have found that at least in... The, a lot of the new work experiences that I've had, the changes have often come from discussions with the writers themselves. So often instead of being completely like thrown off guard by something that is coming my way, it's usually like, oh my gosh, this is, <laughs> this is exactly what I've been needing and therefore informs this in a way that I feel, I feel, um, you feel heard. Yes, heard and like also like a part of me is now in this script. Like
1: Yeah, that's the best. That's me.
0: And that's And I think coolest. that's really good writing. Yeah. I like to think so. <laughs> 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 I'm appreciative of everyone who's been like, Yeah, yeah, we'll put that in. That's fine, Margot. <laughs> <laughs> is there
2: a particular um story that you like to tell or is there anything so looking at you know your career so far and the the role the roles you've been able to play what has drawn you to them what has made you say like oh yes like I need to do this or oh I would love the opportunity to do that
0: Mm. well I that's a great question I think that I've also grown to trust that roles come my way for very specific reasons at specific times. And I think that that, that actually excites me a lot. I don't always know. <laughs> I actually often, um, or actually more often now, I'll go like, this isn't, this is the wrong part for me. You know, this is wrong. I'm not supposed to play. Um, speaking of that, the show at uh, Playwrights Horizons, I I played a, a woman named Alicia, not in this, not in the Unknown Soldier, but in the Thanksgiving play. I played like a, a white girl who is pa- trying to pass as a Native American who worked at Disney World, who only talked about how beautiful she thought she was and um, was, you know, for lack of a better term, like a bit airheady. <laughs> and I read the script and I was like, nope, there's no way that's not who I am. Nope. Um, I don't think I should audition. And they were like, well, that's the role they want to see you for. And, uh, and like, it just, it just happened. And it was all of a sudden like, oh, Alicia is my next journey. Okay, why? Like how? And I have found that to be more true now that I don't always set out to often I don't set out to find the thing or go like, oh, this is happening next up in this season. I want to play this. Because somehow the universe or whatever's going on knows better and just presents to me the next, the next journey, the next, um, you know, like Ellen, who I was just playing was like an OBGYN who was, you know, accidentally pregnant and trying to deal with whether or not she was going to keep the baby and like searching through her family's history and like... Um, was really an incredible. A lot of these, a lot of these characters that come my way are are very flawed, and I and very real, and I love that. So I think that that is more of what I'm doing these days is like accepting the role that presents itself, and figuring out like, why now? What do I? Why is it important for me to say these words right now? And like, how can I serve that up? to the best of my ability for somebody who's out there who needs to hear this story right now.
2: Right. And you're kind of almost like learning a little bit about yourself through that process too, I'm
0: sure. 100% because I think otherwise it would be quite boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I have to learn something about like a little bit more about life this way. And, and I think that's why, I don't know why I'm so draw, have always been drawn to this careers like the dealing in empathy and understanding, like, why on earth would this woman make these decisions? I mean, Octet is like a prime example. (laughs) Um, Jessica, like, has done something horrific and it's been captured online. And, like, she's an unlikable person, but unlikable people don't think that they're unlikable (laughs) right oh i was just listening to
1: something that said um oh i can't remember but it was along the lines of that exact sentiment it's like people who are insane don't think they're insane No, they think that everything is going exactly the way it should be and they're thinking completely normal
0: right and then sometimes you have a terrible horrible no good day that gets called online. So, or you have, you know, you have a, you have a slight mental break. So like, you know, know, like you do. So I just, uh, that is what is, that empathy building is like, it's, is the thing, you know, and understanding why we make the decisions, why I make the decisions I make, why you make the decisions you make. Is there anything, I mean, we're in this, we're
2: in this crazy time. I mean, there's no hiding it, but I'm, Mm -hmm. Really curious talking to various theater makers, what they envision for our industry moving forward and how they, as in it, the individual in the industry, are kind of taking control over the story that they're telling, if that makes mm. sense. So I'm curious as mm. to what you envision for, for I guess, the industry and also for your part in it as we kind of come out of this.
0: I mean, I wish I had an answer. I feel like this is gonna last longer for us than we want it to um, as theater makers specifically, because I think even once we reopen and people are protecting themselves, I think that still the there won't be peace of mind to share. A crowded space. I do think that theater will be incredibly inventive and figure out ways to social distance and to remotely still get the like theater out there. I mean, like playwrights has put together like an amazing podcast uh, and many and like many seasons are going um, full fully audio for, you know, Williamstown and whatever. I know everybody wants to do what we were doing. And I know that the moment we're allowed to we will. But I think the real challenge will be like, how do we how do we find our audiences? How do we engage our audiences in a in a safe way. And I was just talking to a friend on the phone. It's like we haven't really felt compelled to like do online readings and like try to make theater for the sake of making theater right now online. It's been more of like, you know what? I am going to take this full pause. I'm going to take this full pause and I'm going to figure out like what of those projects that were maybe on my plate or thought I wanted to do like are really going to fill me up. And maybe none of them will. Maybe all I need to do right now is, like, rest and repair and be safe, <laughs> which
2: is very important as well. Yes, I, I do does. know people who have jumped on the, on the you know virtual readings. People who are still developing things or continuing yeah. with the development that was happening pre COVID. But there's also there's it's so important to to use the time however you need it to, and however it's yes. going to best suit you in the moment. And that 100%. can change. I mean, we've been. I here mean, for I 50 was days. like.
0: <laughs> right like I was I was writing a piece before I'm, I've, I've been able to finish some music that I had already started and will probably release soon but like I haven't been able to start anything new and like I'm just have to be fine with that you know like that's all right eventually it will feel right to <laughs> make something brand new again but May 8th is not the day
1: this is a great segue into what has become now a nostalgic question which we always ask our guests as a final question Mm -hmm. what was the last great piece of theater that you saw you were even in a show so you probably didn't see anything for quite a while
0: (laughs) i know i didn't see anything for a long time okay there's two One is I went to, like, I guess maybe the National Theater replaying, like, their – whatever there's, like, Fathom events. Yeah. To see Fleabag.
1: Oh, yeah. I saw that, too. It was great. Uh,
0: And I just – to see, like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge do her thing and how little she was – how incredible she was as a storyteller without really moving around and like sitting on a stool the whole time. So that was incredible to me. And especially to see then how that translated into a television show um, was like super exciting. It like really got my like, oh, theater, theater can be anything, you know, like like got very excited. Um, I also saw a piece called The Infinite Hotel.
1: Oh my God, me too. Oh my you God. saw my, it? My teacher was in that. Um, that I think. Did I ever use that as a uh, when people ask us what was the last great piece of theater, Mary? Did I ever mention that?
2: No, I don't think so.
1: Did you you saw it last year at the um what festival was that? I
0: know what's the, the festival
1: called. Ooh, I can't remember, but it was um in Brooklyn.
0: Was it? Yes, in it yeah. was.
1: Um, it was so good. Oh, I'll let you take this. This it was so good though. I talked well, about this for for months after.
0: Let me see if it says prototype. I just looked it up prototype on my phone. Festival, yeah, the yep. prototype festival. So I had uh, somebody that I knew who's who was a part of it. There, her husband worked on it, and I, I, I kind of blew my mind in the sense that you're like, oh, this could be what theater also is, which is like a highly choreographed, in the moment, multi-camera um, piece of theater that is being shot and then is made into a movie at the same time with an audience being it was like
1: a sound stage yeah uh, at the same time of uh, i was upstairs like they had like I a balcony i was upstairs too
0: so you basically so you have headphones
1: see... where you yeah, can hear like all of the audio it's yeah. really
0: really incredible and if you were down on the floor then you were like an you were moved around or sometimes you were were you ever an extra you were like in crowd scenes, yeah, um, and so it was an incredibly inventive way to get people. Um, part of know, the story, to, yeah, part of the story, and like really be active. But but it was it was a place where theater and film then met,
1: and it it wasn't in one of those you know hokey or. Um self-masturbatory ways where we're just like, oh, we did this thing. We, we got this up on its feet in this way because this is how we wanted it to be. And we're shocking the audience with the way we're, we're changing form. (laughs) Um, it was really, it, it lent itself to the story. So.
0: And like all of the audio was made by a Foley artist. Like it was like every sound, every sound effect was made on the spot live. So it was just a very it was a very, very cool thing. And I cannot I understand that it probably didn't wasn't able to run longer because it was probably so expensive to run. But I was probably like everybody I, should see this. So I, think I that, saw it in
1: closing. Um and I, I never got a chance to talk to anybody who's actually seen it. So I'm so <laughs> glad you mentioned that.
0: Yeah. That's that's one that that comes to mind in the sense that I went and was like I've never experienced anything like this. And it's and in a really in a really thrilling way.
1: How can our guests find you on social media?
0: Oh, that's a, I, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, what is my handle? Um, it's uh, you can find me on Instagram um, at margot underscore Cybert, or my website, margocybert.com. dot com it's cybert it's not Siebert, Seibert, s e i b e r t um and you can find my music on spotify or whatever streaming service you have my most recent album is called 77th street i was listening to it today it's it's oh, beautiful thank you <laughs> <Thanks> for <laughs> yeah. listening
2: yeah and we'll put all of the all the links that you just said we'll put that in our description notes as well so everyone can just Amazing. go right there
0: I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Thank you, you so much for having you here. How fun. It was it was actually really, really nice to talk about.
1: <laughs> Theater
0: and octet and past experiences as I stand in a closet.
1: <laughs> well, great. Congratulations again on the Drama Desk Award.
0: Thank you so much. It was great talking to you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode
2: of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast.
1: And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary.
2: We'll see you later.
1: Bye.